Amen. Okay. Well, we have this week and next, next week in the book of, of, of Ephesians, and then we will be done with this book, and then we'll be entering in to the book of Genesis, and we're going to start in the beginning, the beginnings, the book of beginnings in Genesis, and we're just going to walk through that book, and we're going to have a great time, believe the Spirit is leading us in that direction, and unless something radically changes, that's where we'll be going. It's been a delight to preach through the book of Ephesians. I don't know if I'll ever get to do this again or not, um, but, uh, but my heart has definitely been encouraged, and my mind has been encouraged through this book, and I hope that that's been the case with you. Uh, there's been greater lev- levels of repentance in my life. Uh, by what God has done through this, uh, through this letter and through these last 30 or 27 weeks or so that we've been going through this book. And so I pray that, and ask that, that from, from the Lord that it's been helpful for you as well. And so we got this week and then next week and then we'll go into Genesis and Russ is going to take us into that book. He's going to start us off uh, with week one here in a couple weeks. So that's kind of where we're going. But today we're going to be in chapter 6 of Ephesians verses 10 through 13. So I'm going to read that, read it, read it. Uh, we're going to talk about teenage romance novels, and then we'll get into this. So, starting verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, stand firm. So, before teenage romance novels, let's pray again. Uh, Father God, I ask for help uh, as we talk about things that uh, could be uncomfortable for for us to talk about. Principalities, power, spiritual forces, and dark places, Satan, demons, uh, the things that are going on behind the scenes that we may not see front and center. Uh, or may not think we see front and center, help us as we enter into these three verses or four verses, God, help us to understand with clarity uh, and help us to not be unaware of the work of our enemy. Uh, Help us not buy the lie of the enemy that there is no enemy because that's certainly what he wants us to think. And so help us to think clearly and accurately according to your word. And I pray that just like we're going to get into next week, that we would attack darkness, spiritual forces, all the principalities and powers with the truth of your word. That your word would go forth and it would press back darkness. That's what we believe is even going to happen here this morning. So help us to think biblically. And we just ask you to work powerfully this morning. We trust that you're going to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, everybody has an idea of the supernatural both in the world and in the church. In the world, uh, we know that that's the case because every single teenage ro- romance book is, has something to do with the supernatural. Vampires, literally every love story is about a vampire and a non-vampire. Okay? You've heard of Twilight. If you've not heard of Twilight, you literally have been living underground. Uh, and even if you've been living underground, somehow or another, you've heard of Twilight. L- literally everybody has heard of Twilight. Um, and every, you know, 20 to 50-year-old woman is in love with whatever, pale-faced guy. Um, and, uh, and then every other novel that's read at the library, it's like, you know, 98 out of 100 books that are being published are about supernatural vampires. I just don't get it. It's like, my goodness, you'd think by now that we get past that into something kind of cool rather than nerdy, dorky, and not cool. Um, and so... The world has these ideas of, you know, vampires, witches, warlocks, you name it. It's all normal. It's in parts, part of pop, pop culture. Uh, Satan and demons, not as much, but certainly wizardry, things like that, Harry Potter, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you guys know that. It's everywhere. It's just a part of, uh, you know, it's kind of put in a category in a genre called um, 
fantasy. It's just kind of all putting the same thing. And certainly there are differences between fantasy, Lord of the Rings kind of stuff, and, and demonic, and all that kind of stuff, wizardry and everything. But anyways, in pop culture, supernatural is, is pretty much accepted uh, as just a part of the way we live. Now, as far as it being a reality, mm, maybe not so much. Uh, there is definitely in our country a growing uh, understanding of the, the natural world, that the natural world is exactly what we have. We don't have anything supernatural. It's just all natural. And so everything material, yes. Spiritual, no. So they're, they're in, in the world, in the non-Christian world, there's differing views. But certainly ideas of supernatural things, are, are, it's just woven into the culture that we, that we breathe, that we live in. But then in the Christian world, we have views of supernatural as well. And depending upon what church background you grew up in, you had views of Satan. So if you grew up in a more charismatic church or charismatic bent, bending denomination, um, Pentecostal denominations, what, what, what have you, Satan was around every single corner. Literally, Satan is everywhere. Okay? Satan is viewed as being omnipresent. Even though we know, biblically, that Satan is not omnipresent, if you grew up in one stream of Christianity, the view of Satan is that he's really, really big, and he's everywhere all the time. He's hearing everything that you do, he's seeing everything that you do, and he's influencing everything that you do all the time. If you stub your toe, it's because Satan pushed the chair out right there for you to stub your toe. Uh, if you've got a flat tire, if you f fill in the blank, whatever it is, it's all Satan all the time. He's everywhere. And there's this big, huge cosmic battle. And certainly there is spiritual warfare, which we're going to talk about. But there's this huge cosmic battle happening between two deities, uh, God, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, versus Satan over here and all his minions, uh, demon minions. And there's just this big battle going all the time. And sometimes Satan and demons are winning, and sometimes God is winning. And so that's kind of one stream of Christianity. And then there's another stream of Christianity uh, that doesn't really talk about Satan at all, just ever. I mean, Satan seems to only show up where he's talked about, so we'll just not talk about him ever, and then just act like he doesn't exist. Okay, he's he's nowhere. And certainly, uh, if in those stream kind of that stream of thought, uh, they kind of think that Satan is only where flamboyant, outward. Uh, sexual sort of sins, just flamboyant sin is happening. So in one stream of Christianity, Satan's everywhere. The other, he's only in Mardi Gras. That's where Satan is. Or he's only in 1987 Halloween party, Carbondale, Illinois. You know, he's only in those sorts of places. So there's all these different views about the supernatural, and how do we begin to navigate them? Okay, there, there's a, a thought from Michael Horton, okay? Uh, and this would be for more of the people who didn't grow up talking about Satan a whole lot, okay? Because Satan is crafty, and Satan does come out in flamboyantly, you know, wild, you know, deviant sin sort of ways, but also Satan works in ways that we think, that eh, maybe that's not really Satan. He's, he's pretty sneaky. Here's what uh, Michael Horton quoting uh, another pastor uh, said in his book, Christless Christianity. What would it look like if Satan took control of a city? That's the question. We immediately get Mardi Gras. We immediately get fill in the blank, whatever, just debauchery, crazy, wild sins in our mind. Over a century ago, Presbyterian minister Donald Gray Barnhouse offered his own scenario in his weekly sermon that was broadcast nationwide on CBS radio. Barnhouse speculated that if Satan took control of Philadelphia, all the bars would be closed, pornography would be banished, and pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. And children would say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And the churches would be full every Sunday 
where Christ was not preached. That's a different kind of view of Satan. Now, certainly they're both. You can't just say that that's one way Satan works, and this is another way Satan works. But you see, it's a win for the enemy if you're only moral and you don't know Jesus. That's a win. Any way he can bring you to hell with him is a victory for him and his mind. So he is crafty where Christ is not preached. Satan would love it for nobody to hear about Christ if everybody was just moral and nobody heard about Jesus. Nobody knew that they were a sinner. Nobody repented and glorified Jesus at all. He would love that scenario. But here is this dichotomy that we find in place. C.S. Lewis does this really well in his book, Screwtape Letters. Here's what he says. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. Okay? Satan and demons. We're going to get weird here this morning. Not really weird. We're going to touch reality this morning. Okay? There are two and opposite and equal errors. One is to disbelieve their existence. Okay? That's the church background. It's just Satan's always out there. He's never, he and his minions, you know, demons are never working in my life or the family's life or in this city or in this neighborhood. Never influencing this way or that way. Okay, one is to disbelieve their existence or just imagine that they're completely out there all the time. But the second, second is to feel an unhealthy and excessive interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. So that's what we're going to try to do, uh, to do today. We're going to try to avoid errors. And we're going to try to be just taught by God's word. And we're going to try to engage the way the scriptures call us to engage dark forces within this city and within our world. We want to be aware. We do not want to be unaware. Um, here is another quote from that book. This was from uh, Screwtape, and in this book, The Screwtape Letters, uh, Screwtape was kind of a senior leader demon, and he's talking to a newbie demon called Wormwood. Okay? So Screwtape is writing to Wormwood, and he says this about Satan and demons. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. Okay, so think this, this corner is an angel, this corner is a demon. You know, the, you know the, the devil in modern imagination, okay? So he says, the fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion, he's, screw tape to worm, Wormwood, if any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, speaking of men and women, Suggest to him a picture of something in red tights with a pitchfork and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. Okay? Tactics that the enemy may use. So there is another situation in the scriptures that address a scenario in which there was a young man who disbelieved in the supernatural activity happening around him. And it comes from 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 to 19. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to go through this real quick. Uh, there was a king in Syria, and there was a prophet of God named Elisha. Elisha had a servant. And Elisha had been getting direct communication from God as a prophet of God. And God had been telling him to tell the king of Israel the next move of the king of Syria. And the king, the king of Jerusalem, God's people, they were, they were one step ahead of the king of Syria. And so everything that Syrians did, the Syrians did, uh, the, the Israelites knew what was about to happen. 
So somebody tells the king of Syria, hey, there's a man of God over in Israel, and he hears things from God, and God tells him what's going to be happening from our end, and then that's how they're finding out what our next move is. So the king of Syria thinks, okay, well, if I can just go get this prophet of God, Elisha, well, then I can finally overtake these Israelites. And so Elisha's servant begins to be nervous. He's thinking, oh my goodness, they're coming for you. Look, the armies of the Syrians are coming. And here's what Elisha said. Just powerful. He prayed. We'll start in, uh, in verse 15. When the servant of the man of God rose early, so that's the servant of Elisha. He was freaking out, the servant rose early in the morning and went out. Behold, an army with horses and chariots was around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He's freaking out. Syrians have surrounded us. The man of God, he said, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant's like, Uh, what? Okay, there, there's horses there and we have nobody. What are you talking about? Put yourself in the servant's shoes, right? Blind to supernatural realities. This is a majority of us. We don't, we're not just aware of what's going on around us supernaturally. So here's what Elisha prays. Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. <laughs> so the servant's like, Okay, we're good. Uh, I mean, got it now. Okay, I see why you're at peace. You know, you're eating popcorn, you're fine. You know, it's no big deal. And here's the truth. That there's things going on around us that we're simply not aware of. And if we had eyes to see, we would see supernatural happenings all around us. God is at work. He is omnipresent and He is all-powerful. He's everywhere all the time. And we have a real enemy who hates His work and is trying over and over again to take what God is using for good, what the enemy means for evil, God means for good. What, what Satan and demons are trying to do is just spoil the work of God. And so they're coming and trying to bring attacks and shooting darts and shooting arrows and trying to attack God's people, and God over and over again is using it for their good. And Satan's like, it! I cannot do anything to do and thwart God's plans. I'm going to keep trying, but he keeps winning. And so there are things happening around us that we don't currently see. So we want to be aware of those things. And we want to be like the servant to be able to see, you know what? God's got this. He's working. Okay, there's armies around that we don't see. God is up to something. So we're going to look first at verse, or chapter 6, verse 10. Look with me because we have to have a right posture if we're going to understand the work of the enemy and our role in spiritual warfare. We have to understand ourselves rightly, okay? Here's what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. If we are going to identify the work of the enemy and step out and do what God calls us to do, if we're going to have the right posture in that, we have to understand this verse. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Um, does the passage say, be strong in yourself, and in the strength of your might? Not a trick question. <laughs> like, and you can tell, no, it doesn't. 
says be strong in the Lord. That's the opposite of, of being strong in yourself. Now this is the upside downness of Christian, of Christian strength. Kurt and I were talking about this the other day, and he said, you know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking about 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm like, oh my goodness, I literally just wrote down in my notes. It was perfect how it worked out. And so we're going to look at Christian strength, the upside down nature of Christian strength, because the irony about Christian strength is it doesn't claim itself. Have you ever met a Christian, a strong Christian, a godly, humble Christian who walks around talking about their own strength? I am a strong Christian. I am spiritual. I'm spiritually a giant. Don't mess with me. I got the devil in this hand right here, and I got the Bible here, and I'm beating down the devil all the time. Okay, there, there's irony to that, isn't there? Uh, somebody who goes around braggadociously like that, they, that's a sign of weakness. That's the upside-downness of Christian strength. We see this clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So go ahead and turn there, if you haven't already. And we're going to look at the Apostle Paul, and we're going to look how powerful, look at how powerful and how counterintuitive Christian strength really is. It does not say, be strong in yourself. And the strength of your might, it says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, says this. Paul says, after a surpassing revelation, he gets caught up into a third heaven. He sees some powerful stuff. He said, and, and, and so to keep me humble because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, I got to see things that nobody else has seen before. And so to keep me humble, something happened to me. Here's what Paul says. So to keep me, verse 7, from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Now Satan obviously is wanting to harass Paul, but what's God up to? God is up to bringing humility to Paul. Using Satan as a pawn, we're not really going to dive too much into that. A messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from being conceited. So Satan's harassing Paul, and all he's seeing is Paul becoming more humble, more Christ-like. Like, man, this is not working out. Like, my goodness, what is happening here? Thorn was given me to flesh, and, and then Paul says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Okay, isn't that interesting? Therefore, what's Paul say? I will boast all the more gladly, gladly, of my weaknesses. Why? Why will Paul boast about his weaknesses? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Who on earth in the world outside of understanding the kingdom of God would think that strength comes through gladly proclaiming your weaknesses? By being okay with people seeing the skeletons in your closet. By saying, I know that I'm vulnerable. I know that I'm weak. I know that I'm literally sinning day in and day out. And that being the way for Christian strength. Weakness being the way, really? Gladly boast in weakness so that what? I can just boast in my weaknesses? No. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here's the truth of Christian strength. As we look away from ourselves and to Christ, 
Christ is honored and glorified and we get strengthened. This is how we find strength in the Lord. We turn away from ourselves and to Christ and we receive strength. We're not boasting in ourselves or our weaknesses. We're being more and more overcome with the power and the might of Jesus and we are growing in strength. Apart from our weaknesses, we're, we're looking away from our, are looking away from ourselves, saying, "I am weak. I'm weak. I am not strong in myself." Looking to Christ, and the irony is, I become strong. Boasting in my weaknesses is the pathway to strength, the upside-down way of the kingdom. When the Christian is weak, then the Christian is strong. Christian strength, therefore, is gladly embracing weaknesses. Second piece, while gladly embracing Christ's strength. When we know that we are weak, that is when Christ is strong in us. And that is key for spiritual warfare because there was a group of people in Acts 19 who thought they could come against the enemy in the strength of their own might, the seven sons of Sceva. And they see Paul, they see others, the apostles casting out demons. They step up, they gave, they're doing it. You know what? I'm going to do it. They step up. And you know what happens? These seven sons of Sceva get beat so hard, their clothes come off and they run off naked. To this day, I've never, I watch knockout videos on YouTube. For some reason, I like one-punch knockouts. Probably will never come in handy. But if somebody messes with my wife or son, it will come in handy. And I'll write where the lights out. I mean, okay? But still yet, in those videos on YouTube, lights out, one-punch videos, watch hockey fights or whatever. Hockey fights, it sort of happens. There's a shirt that occasionally comes off. Um, I've still never seen somebody hit somebody and their clothes come off. But the seven sons of Sceva approaching the enemy, Satan, demons, and the power of their own strength, they get beat down so bad they lose all their clothes. That is a butt whooping. Like, big time. Big time. So we want to make sure as we begin to talk about this, we, we need to be rock solid. And where is our strength? It's not in us. We sing about it every week. Our strength is in Christ. That's our hope. He's our hope. Not in the strength of our might. And this is what the passage calls us to. Be strong in the Lord. So away with the so-called Jared's strength, so-called your strength, and step into the strength of his might. When we are weak, then we are strong. The second part of the verse, turn back to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 11, excuse me, first part of verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the armor of God. Let me ask you, why does the Christian need strength and armor? Why do we need strength and why do we need armor? And here's the obvious truth of the passage, because we have a real enemy. You know why we need armor? Because the enemy is shooting flaming darts at us. You know why we need armor? Because 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The way of the world is the way of our enemy, and he is very real. And he is a defeated foe. His powers have been disarmed, but he is still called, the Apostle James calls him a roaring lion. And a roaring lion is wandering about, seeking whom he may devour. We're told to stand, we're told to resist him, to engage in battle. We have a real enemy out there. 
And if we're not careful, we run the risk of hearing this and saying, eh, no, not really. And we fall into that second category that's, eh, they don't really exist. I don't like talking to them. Now keep in mind, we're not trying to get in the other ditch and say, yep, that was the enemy right there. He's omnipresent, he's everywhere, he's all powerful. But we do not want to bury our head in the sand in ignorance and say, ah, the enemy's out there. He's, he's never been around me. Friends, I'm still learning this. I'm still very, very much learning about spiritual warfare. Very much learning, even in this text this week. I've talked to other people. I got some friends that wrote in, and uh, Andy and I studied. Uh, Kurt sent me some notes, um, and uh, my friend Dan sent me some notes. We had several people that I, I, I was really working through and read a bunch of commentaries. So I'm still learning this. But the truth that's before us is that we are to put on armor and to, we're, we're to be strong because we have a real enemy who hates us. Now here's what I want to say. One of the reasons we write off the enemy is because, and especially here at our church, we believe in the sovereignty of God. Every Christian believes in the sovereignty of God to some degree or another. And I believe in the totality and the full sovereignty of God. Uh, when a leaf blows in the wind, I believe that's because God is holding that leaf in the air. He is not disconnected. I, do, I reject all forms of deism who says that God is out there and He's not concerned with our daily lives. That He is very much present everywhere at all times. But sometimes an unnecessary consequence of believing this strong view of God's sovereignty is we struggle with things like this. When we hear that Satan is literally called, and there are different ways that the Scriptures use the, world, uh, the, the word world. For instance, God tells in, in the book of 1 John chapter 2, I believe it is, He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. He commands us to not love anything in the world. But then the most famous verse in all the Bible is written by the same author, John 3.16. Anybody know it besides Tim Tebow? Anybody quote it? So loved what? Who? The world. So the Bible uses the world with different ways. Okay? For God so loved the world, and He tells us, don't love the world or anything of the world. Wait a minute, what is it? This is one of these categories where this is not saying Satan is in control of the world, meaning he just, like God's trying to do things and Satan's just in control. It means literally every way of the system, the non-Christian mind, and the way of worldview and the way of culture from city to city, from nation to nation, it, the, the culture of the air is one that's influenced by Satan and demons. He rules the world. And we need to be aware of that. So we need to, I think, view spiritual warfare, fighting the enemy, in the same way we view prayer. Because here's what we say in circles that believe in the sovereignty of God and prayer. Prayer is the means by which God accomplishes His purposes through us. You ever heard anything like that? God's going to work, but He doesn't do it disconnected from His people. So He's going to work through the prayers of His people. So He's going to inspire prayers, people are going to pray, and God is going to work in answering the prayers of His people. So the way in which He sovereignly rules the world, one way in which He does that is through the prayers of His people. So as we pray for God to work powerfully in Sophia's life this year, this is God's sovereign purposes are going to be happening through and in her life. And He had us to pray for His purposes to happen, and then God is going to answer those prayers. He's going to work powerfully in her life. As we pray for uh, Cecilia, or as we pray for uh, Bree, what was your friend's name again? Sierra. Okay, this is, we, we're praying and God is going to move. We don't know exactly all the ways He's going to move, but a way in which He rules sovereignly is through the prayers of His people. We pray and God answers. Same thing with spiritual warfare. 
God does not tell us, although He tells us to stand, he, and He gives us only one offensive weapon, which is the Word of God, the Bible doesn't say, never resist the devil, never do anything, just lay down, put your hands in your pocket, and let me take care of it. Uh-uh. That's not what we're called to do. In fact, according to verses like this, God is sovereign over Satan, but as with prayer, God's, now listen, God's appointed means, one of His appointed means, by which He rules over Satan, is to empower His people to stand firm against Him. We're told to stand firm. We're told to put on the armor of God. In the strength of His might, Keep in mind, not, okay, I'm going to put on the armor of God and the strength of my might, I'm going to stand against the enemy. Clearly, no. But we are called to stand, and so a way in which God works sovereignly over Satan is summoning us up to and into spiritual warfare. Do battle against the enemy. And here is the truth of out there. Here's what I know. I know that there are people out there that are trapped and the blinders, they blinders on from the work of en the enemy in their life. There are people all over, and you and I were at one time. And God busted through, through parents, through friends, through family, through somewhere. And we, by God's grace, had the blinders that Satan had put on there and our heart had strapped on there. And God removed those and saved us out of that. And here's the truth. The enemy is really at work out there. He doesn't want your friends and your family to, to know anything about Jesus. He doesn't want your co-workers. He doesn't want anybody that you know to know anything about Jesus at all. So Satan wants us to lay down in passivity. So he wants us to reject Jesus' strength in favor of our own. Satan would certainly want us to hear verse 10, be strong in yourself, in the strength of your might. He would want you, he would want us to reject standing against his schemes. So he would want us to stand in the might of our own strength. I am strong. I got this. But then God wants for us, for us to fight by standing. So God is sovereignly flowing through us to push back the dark forces in our world. Stand in the strength of Christ. Friends, this is what we're called to do. There really is an enemy that you may be able to stand against the schemes be strong in the Lord and put on the armor of God that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is scheming. He hates you and he hates this world. And he wants everybody to go with him. And it's just a reality that's before us in the scriptures. And you guys can see it right there. That you may be able to stand against the schemes. He's scheming. He hates us. And so we need to be aware. Continuing on, verse 12, it says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. From everybody I've read, this is talking about... So Satan is not omnipresent. Okay, so Satan maybe not, probably is not in Illinois right now. Like... Satan, Satan, maybe, I don't know, in some terrible, probably is, he's probably in Springfield, that's probably where <laughs> Satan is, actually, like that's right, in Chicago, you know, like downtown, he's probably a Cubs fan too, yeah. okay, too far, I'm sorry, <clears throat> um, so 
But he has workers, and we know this. We don't know how many, but we know he does have workers. And there's different authorities and principalities against different authorities, cosmic powers over the darkness, and rulers. And, and here's what many people believe, and I think rightly so, is that there are demonic forces stationed all over this globe. And they have, just like uh, the angels take authority, or have an authority in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit directing where they go and what they do and who they minister to, there it seems in the scriptures is a pattern also to where there is structure in the schemes of the enemy. And so here in Carbondale, there may be pockets of demons ruling over this particular area and over that particular area. And, and we don't need to just say, man, it just sounds weird. I just can't, I can't think about that. It says it. Rulers and authorities, we are not fighting against, we're not just natural people here. We're supernatural people. And we need to think in those terms. We are brought into the Christian faith supernaturally. Your dead heart was made alive. The God of the universe woke your dead heart up, regenerated it. And just like a baby, when you smack a baby's butt, when it comes out of the mother's womb and you get all that stuff out or whatever, the baby's <gasps> breathes and cries. Okay? When you repented and believed, that was... <gasps> That's your breath of life. God brought you to life. And the evidence of that is you repent and believe. That's supernatural. It cannot happen through humans just trying to make themselves alive. God has to do that work. Only God can make dead men live. I got a t-shirt that says that a few weeks ago. We're brought in supernaturally, and you know what? We're sustained supernaturally. We are a supernatural people. Let us not fall into naturalism. Let us remember that. Satan is at work. We see the natural, but the enemy is blinding people to the truth of the supernatural. The verse I was quoting earlier is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In the case of the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. These demonic leaders desire you and desire the world to bask in their own glory and the own strength of their might. That's what Satan wants. He wants to blind them and continue to have them look to their self, look at their self, look to their self in their own glory. They do not want anyone to see the glory of Christ. That's why it says that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So here, here's the reality. and Many of you just need to take this and, and just begin to pray. Uh, God, I, I want to fight. I want to be in this battle. I want to do battle against our very real enemy. And I want to show him by your grace and the strength of your might every single day that he is a defeated foe. He does not have authority over this city in the way that we do by God's grace. We come into a situation that demonic maybe influence has over and we walk in with the authority of the God of the universe. You know what happens when Jesus shows up and there are demons around? What happens? Do they do battle with Jesus? Or do they shudder in fear? Do they shake and they run? Will you just please throw us into the pigs? Who has authority? And friends, if you and I are in Christ, we have that same sort of authority. And let us not lay, us, lay it down in passivity and act like we don't have it or any spiritual things are happening around us. We have that authority given to us by God. And so we do battle with darkness and demonic forces by being strong in the Lord. Let's be all about Jesus and the strength of His might. 
Next week, we're going to get more specifically into the armor of God. In verse 13, it kind of gives us a primer to that. Look, look with me. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. Therefore, therefore is there, as Andy said a few weeks ago, and every other preacher trying to be funny in the entire world, therefore, you've got to find out why it's therefore. See, it's so overused, you can't even get any laughs anymore. So what are we to do when we see a therefore? One, agree with previous statements. Make sure we agree with previous statements because they're true. That's why it's therefore, to remind us that what was just previously said is true. So we are to agree with those prior statements. Then what? What are we to do? Two primary things. One, take up. Take up. Take up armor. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. Armor of self or the armor of God? Armor of God. As we all nod our heads physically and internally. Armor of God. The Christian life, spiritual warfare, is about distrusting and looking away from yourself and trusting and looking to Christ. And the second thing is this, stand firm. Stand firm. Isn't it interesting that this is our form of offense? We're going to see the armor of God in greater detail next week as we close out the book. The one offensive weapon we get is the Word of God. The first time Russ preached here, as he said, we don't need to be advancing Christ's church name. We need to be praying that the Word of God advances. The Word of God is the authority of God. It goes forth. We want the Word of God to be revered and loved. We want people to hear God's Word and say, yes, that's right. We want that in this city. And so we stand firm in the strength of His might, putting on the whole armor of God and trusting that God will do the battle as we stand up. That's our part is to stand firm. Our part is not to go out looking for demons everywhere. Our part is to stand firm. And as we go into places, wherever we're at, standing firm in the strength of His might, darkness begins to be pushed back. And this is what I'm believing. In 1976, I heard this. Thomas, was it 1976 revival? Revival happened here in Carbondale. I heard Thomas and I heard John Baker in there. One of them was in tears thinking about it. And they were talking about the droves and droves of people in this city who met Jesus. And I want it to happen again. I want to experience that. I want to experience it. I've mentioned it a few weeks in a row. I want to see professors. I want to see students. I want to see gas station workers in this community. I want to see revival in this town. The towns in which you drive in from. I want to see droves of people from your neighborhood meet Jesus. I don't care if they join this church or not, regardless of where they're at. I want to see them know Jesus, and I want these areas to be transformed by the power of the gospel. Darkness to be pushed back. I want the enemy to see God's people and squirm and run and get out of here. And by God's grace, I want to see that. So there's two implications today, and then we'll close up. Andy, you can come up. Uh, first, for the non-believer. If you're a non-believer in this room, if you have never repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, if you've never seen the glory of the gospel of Jesus, uh, one of the reasons, other than you being dead in your trespasses and sins, is that on top of that, Satan is blinding your eyes to see it. It just logically doesn't make sense. Seems all mythical. Here we are talking about Satan and demons, really supernatural stuff. That's weird. It's 2016. It's okay if we talk Twilight, just not this stuff. Satan's blinded your eyes. This just seems mythical and weird. To the light of the glory of the gospel in the face of Christ Jesus. Here's the truth your life that you're living, if you're a non believer, earned a judgment from God. And God says to you, you don't measure up, you've not done good enough. I will not validate it. 
you get a cross. That's what your life has earned. Jesus comes and lives the life we should have lived. He earns a judgment. He comes to the cross. This is the irony of the cross. He earns a judgment. In his baptism, he steps out of baptism and his father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He earns that judgment, keeps that judgment to the cross. And friends, that's the miracle, the basics of the Christian faith is if you're in Christ, you get the judgment that Jesus earned. This is my beloved son, my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Jesus took the punishment you deserve, the death you deserve. The judgment you earned, Jesus took. And the judgment He earned, we, by God's grace, through faith in Christ alone, to the glory be of God alone, we get to receive it. And so I pray that even those words, remove those blinders, the Holy Spirit comes, rips those blinders that the enemy has put on your heart and your mind, and makes your heart alive, and you trust in Jesus. And then for the believer in this room, and you can do that this morning, by the way. You can come talk to me, pray where you're at, cry out for Jesus, save me. When I talked to Cody, when, when he came up and we prayed, I said, just cry out for Jesus to save me. And Cody said, Jesus, save me. Just, and he did. It was awesome. For the believer, have you rejected the truth that you have an enemy? He would be delighted if that's the case. You have an enemy. Are you living in your own strength? I've got this. I'm strong. I'm a Christian. I'm stronger than anybody else. Christians stand with Paul and say, I am the chief of all sinners. And yet Christ is awesome. Paul was a man obsessed with Jesus. And yet he also wrote chapter 7. I do the things I don't. Romans chapter 7. I don't know why I do the things I do. This internal turmoil. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Christ. That's Paul. Are you living in the strength of, your own, of yourself? So here's the response for us, for believers. Repent and discover that weakness is the way. Weakness is the way. Weakness is the way. When we are weak, He is strong, and the enemy hates this. The enemy hates when we boast in Christ alone. He hates it. He wants us boasting in ourselves. The enemy hates when we boast in Christ alone. We're going to sing. We're going to sing some songs and worship together, and we're going to be able to receive communion and boast in the strength of Christ together, but I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to work in you, and if you have anything you need to pray about at all, then you get somebody you came with, and you pray. If you want to come forward, you can, where you're at, pray, but let's let the Holy Spirit do whatever the Holy Spirit's going to do in your heart, and respond in obedience. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you do that. Do what we cannot do. We want revival to come. We can't make it come. We can't rationalize. We can't be better logisticians than anybody else. We can't be better orators and or, just preach in such a way that everybody melts. We need your power. We need fire. And we want to see your power on display here. We ask for revival. I pray that it would start even in this room. Awaken our hearts. Help us to not fear the enemy and also help us not stick our hands in their pockets and lay down. Help us to stand firm in the strength of your might. Holy Spirit, lead us during this time. I trust that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.